Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. What does it mean to live the way of the peaceful warrior? For many of you, that particular title that I just mentioned, the peaceful warrior, may in fact ring a bell because my next guest is none other than the author of the New York Times bestselling book, which was also adapted into a movie as well called Way of the Peaceful Warrior, a book that changes lives. His name is Dan Millman, and Dan Millman is a former world champion athlete, university coach, martial arts instructor, and college professor. After an intensive 20-year spiritual quest, Dan's teachings found its form as the Peaceful Warrior's way. His work continues to evolve over time to meet the needs of this ever-changing world. Dan's 18 books, now 19 I believe, including The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, have inspired and informed millions of readers in 29 languages worldwide, which is an incredible achievement. The feature film Peaceful Warrior was adapted from Dan's first book based upon incidents from Dan's life. Much of Dan's time is devoted to speaking. His keynotes, seminars, and workshops span the generations to influence men, women from all walks of life. Dan and his wife, Joy, live in Brooklyn, New York. They have three grown daughters and five grandchildren, believe it or not. And Dan, this is a conversation that Dan and I had quite some time ago, actually, and I've wanted to release it for a while, but uh, haven't found a perfect enough time. But with the new year, I felt, you know, this is a great message to spread out to you guys in the world on how to find your purpose, living the peaceful warrior's way, what that actually means and how it can be applied to one's life as well. And also Dan's story, which is pretty, pretty incredible if I do say so myself. There's a lot of interesting and, and useful takeaways from his story that I know can help you guys move through uh, 2022, can't believe I'm saying that, uh, in the best ways possible. So if you do get something from it, guys, please share it around with your friends and family. Help this one go as crazy as possible. Also, don't forget to leave a rating and review over and have a podcast. And before you go, 
please subscribe. All right. Appreciate each and every one of you once again. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It's time to journey with me in the story box as we listen and unbox the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Dan Millman. Thank you, Jay. It's good to be here and uh, just great to reach across the world. Uh, I love those rare times I've been able to visit down under and uh, I've been uh, across your country and up and down the coast, Gold Coast and down to Melbourne um, where I did some bungee jumping and <laughs> just ha- had a great time. Um, so I have a really heartfelt connection to, uh, to Australia. Which is your favorite state? Not just going to be biased at all, but which is your favorite state? Do you I don't know that I have a favorite. I mean, each, each area has a different, um, different feel to it. Perth, obviously very different from, from Sydney or Brisbane. Um, I taught a gymnastics clinic many years ago in Brisbane and certainly enjoyed that very much at a police school. And, but Melbourne, um, I have a really good connection to as well. So I have a, yeah. Strong. I was going to say, you can say Sydney and no one would, uh, it's like, yeah, it's <laughs> great too. Of course. Yeah. Cool. 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 Um, well we, we love, um, we love having you, uh, in Sydney, I'm pretty sure. And your work has inspired millions of people around the world, including me, uh, in Sydney, Australia. And I'm, I'm thrilled to actually be speaking to you. It's kind of like, um, Unreal. <laughs> In a way, I've been looking forward to this conversation for such a long time. Before we dive into your, your backstory and how you got started and all that, I have one question that I normally love asking people, which is, what does success look like to you? Well, that has changed over the years. Um, uh, on, the, on the more conventional view of success, I often uh, remind people that to be successful at your work, at what you do, your entrepreneurship, whatever it is, you have to be good at two things. You have to be good at doing what you do, uh, and you have to be good at promoting or marketing what you do. And many of us are purists and really don't like marketing ourselves very much, but we have to keep in mind we're not doing it for ourselves, we're doing it for the people we might serve or inspire. because if we if they don't we can't help someone if they don't know we exist. So even though it's not my favorite thing to do, I like to role model and I, I just have to let people know about my new work, books, and so on, so they can at least be aware of it um, and decide for themselves whether that appeals to them. That's one definition of success and some advice around that. But to me, um, I advise people don't strive for success. Because that is not in our control. Yeah. Strive for excellence. Yes. And that is in our control. Mm -hmm. So if we just aim for excellence over time, effort over time, you know, we can't control the outcomes in our lives, but we can control our efforts. Mm -hmm. And by making a good effort over time, that's the horse I'm betting on because it increases our odds of getting the desired outcomes. So in a way, effort is success Mm -hmm. because that's all anyway. Mm. In this uh, idea of success, my grandfather actually taught me that valuable principle that I hold very dear to my heart. And I've had a conversation with another uh, individual that I hold dear to my heart uh, who wrote, he's the actual former uh, Horst Schultz. He's the uh, founder of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. He wrote Mm -hmm. a book, Excellence Wins. And I love that Mm because it is such a profound book and it talks about 
why excellence is such a profound principle in one's life. And when mm-hmm. we strive for it, what actually happens in a, in a person's life when we, when we um, are continually striving for it. What I'm curious, Dan, over the years, you've said that success has really sort of changed for you, but I want to ask you, has excellence changed for you over time or has it remained the same? Well, it, that's a paradoxical question and I can give that the same kind of answer because um, excellence never changes on one hand. It's just, it's doing our best. And, but the, the paradox here, the mystery of that is that um, by definition, we do better some days than others from mm-hmm. an absolute viewpoint. But on another view, we do the best we can every day of our life. In the same way our parents did their best in raising us or our caregivers, whoever they might have been, whether they were kind and thoughtful and, and, and educated and sophisticated or whether they were cruel and abusive, they were still doing the best they knew how or they were capable of, even though we might say, no, they, they could have done a lot better. Just like we can say to ourselves, I could have, I could have done a lot better. Um, but by definition, within our wounds, our limitations, our view uh, at that current time, we do the best we can working with what we have. So we need to also have compassion for ourselves and, and also uh, others in our lives that they're, they're struggling maybe and their absolute performance may not be great, but they're doing what they can at the time. So it's good to keep that in mind, not as an excuse for poor behavior, but uh, to help compassion and understanding. Mm. What are some things that you implement in your life on a day-to-day basis that set you up for doing your best to be an excellent human being? Well, you know, I got a line into the Peaceful Warrior movie a couple of weeks before they started shooting. I wasn't the screenwriter, but I did get a few scenes and uh, some lines in there. And there's a longer scene I, I'll tell you about to answer that question. Uh, it's perhaps a, the master practice anyone can do no matter what religion or spiritual practice they do, this may be the master practice. And, and here's what happened. Uh, the story I tell is that Socrates and I are in the gymnasium mm-hmm. and I was getting back into shape after my uh, shattered leg, you know, motorcycle crash. And I was on the high bar doing a dismount, a full twisting double somersault, whatever it was at the time. And I stuck my landing, which is a good thing. You land without moving and, you know, standard attention. And I figured that was a good place to stop for the evening. So I, I did and, you know, ripped off my sweatshirt, threw it into my workout bag. And we were walking down the hallway afterward. And, and Socrates turned to me and said, you know, Dan, that last move you did tonight was really sloppy. And I said, what are you talking about, Socrates? I said, that was the best dismount I did off the high bar in, in weeks. And he said, oh, I'm not talking about the high bar dismount. I'm talking about the way you took off your sweatshirt and stuffed it in your bag. And that's when he reminded me again that I was treating one moment flying off the high bar as special, deserving of my full attention. And I was treating another moment as ordinary. And so he reminded me once again that there are no ordinary moments. But what he followed that up with, and this is what the line I got into the movie was, He said, Dan, the difference between us is that you practice gymnastics. I practice everything. And that is the master practice. Now, it sounds like a crazy, obsessive, never-ending self-improvement program. But 
what I'm really talking about is a relaxed approach to refining what we do each day. When How many of us, when we sign our name, are trying to sign it smoother and more elegantly than we did last time? Yeah. At some point, we stop practicing and we go on automatic. So I'm, again, I haven't mastered this, but I am still practicing. Mm-hmm. Walking, breathing, opening a door, doing the dishes, which I just did before I came in here, um, and practicing and hopefully improving. The difference of doing something, doing the laundry, doing our work at our job, um, and practicing something is a difference in emphasis. When you do something, you just do it to get it done. When you practice it, you're doing it to refine or improve. Mm. And that can absorb us. That can put us in the zone, that the flow, all the time um, by practicing. It brings a different um, point of attention. Mm. Now, you know, when I spoke in Melbourne, which was, I don't know, eight years ago, maybe nine, ten years ago, when I last spoke, I was introduced to this big business conference as a mindfulness expert. And I said, you know, when I started speaking, I said, I beg to differ. My wife might differ from that view too. If you've seen me do the dishes and she finds spots almost always that I missed. Um, And this whole idea of mindfulness has become a thing. Oh, I'm practicing mindfulness. But really mindfulness just means three things. First, it means paying attention, Mm. directing our attention on what we're doing. The second thing is, we're, doing it, we're paying attention to what's going on in the present moment. And the third thing is without judgments, just noticing, as we might in meditation, let's say. So that's all it is. It's not a special thing. It's paying attention, present moment. And when we, when we pay attention to what's going on inside of us, with our eyes closed, we call it mindfulness meditation. But equally important, maybe more so, is being mindful of what's around us right now. Um, and that is a lifetime practice as well. Just paying attention to details of life. Um, uh, not in any headachey, you know, obsessive way, but just noticing the details of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I respond to when, in terms of your question, this whole idea of the master practice of practicing everything. I love that answer uh, because. I have a philosophy in life that I live by actually two. One of them is be persistent to remain consistent at the things that you want. And for me, being persistent at practicing all the things that I want to be good at is part of my, my mantra, my, my being really, my, my purpose. But mm-hmm. practicing, I have another saying, which is practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes a process to progress forward. And mm-hmm. we're constantly waking up every single day. For me, it's a mindset of what can I persistently do today in terms of practicing to get better? And I know that I'm not going to have great days, but that's okay right. because I am doing the one little thing that is going to improve me for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And if I can focus yeah. on that, like that is the mindfulness aspect, like constantly mm-hmm. focusing in on the things that I can be good at, um, not rather than the bad things. Yeah. Well, that, that reminds me of a story. When I, when I turned 50 years old, um, I did an all-night hike, um, a solo hike. I found, lost the trail in the middle of the night and found it again and just uh, ended up in the morning finding my way back to the trailhead. Uh, and it was quite a, a, a fun. But when I turned 60, I said I wanted to do something else special. 
So I decided, I don't know, I'm 60 now, it's time to learn to ride a unicycle. So a friend of mine loaned me his unicycle. Any, any of your viewers or listeners who have tried it, they know how humbling it is. Um, you get on and zoop, goes out from under you. You get on again, boom, goes out from under you. So he told me to practice in a tennis court because I, it had this nice level ground and I could get a death grip on the chain link fence, you know, when I was trying to stay on the thing. And I practiced for a week and made very little progress, but I came back every day. I failed and failed and failed and failed. Um, but I could do six pedals by the end of the week. The second week, I could do 12 pedals. And long story short, by the end of the third week, I was doing figure eights on the unicycle around the tennis court. It took me about three weeks every day, persistent practice. I learned two things from this experience, which I, I had learned doing gymnastics all those years, but um, it had been a long time. And this was a refreshing thing to learn at 60. So I learned two things. One, I learned that everything is difficult until it becomes easy. <laughs> and the second thing I learned was there are days that seem everything falls apart. Um, I was worse than I was three, four days ago, weeks ago. And everything's confused. My body's confused. My mind's confused. Just a really like a bad day. But I also learned that after those so-called bad days, the day after that, usually I made a breakthrough. Mm. And what happens is it's when, when the information you're learning, if it's physical training of any kind, could be musical instrument, could be any kind of practice. It's going from the front brain, the prefrontal cortex to the back of the brain where it becomes automatic. And that's when that confusion happens, but that's when the learning is really happening. And then the breakthrough follows. So for example, if someone's in a critical point in a relationship and they hit this crisis point, if they persist through that, they often have a breakthrough to deeper intimacy. So it applies to many things. Mm -hmm. So that's why I shared that story in terms of practice. And I had plenty of opportunity. You know, I was a kid who loved to jump on the trampoline. Mm -hmm. And who would have guessed that jumping up and down on a trampoline as a kid would have changed the course and directed the whole course of my life. Everything unfolded from there. I mentioned off air that I was working on a memoir, fourth draft right now. Uh, Jack London, a writer, once said that it takes hard writing to make easy reading. So I'm doing the hard writing right now to make it easier on my readers. Um, and it's coming along and maybe it'll be out next year sometime. Um, but yeah, so my story is I was always looking for how to create talent for sports. Mm. And it seemed to me that talent was maybe 80% developed. You could actually develop talent in the sense of the ability to learn faster and easier and rise to higher potential. That's how I would define talent. And so I searched for ways to do that. And physical talent, it seemed to me, was based on qualities like strength and suppleness and stamina and coordination, rhythm, timing balance, reflex speed, all those things, if you develop them, contribute to your talent, you end up learning faster and easier if you have that foundation. And my theories did work out in practice. Um, I trained the, the top US Olympian uh, in gymnastics when I was coaching at Stanford University in California. Um, and, but the thing is, being able to do handstands and cartwheels, you know, developing talent for sport, it didn't really help me much when I went out on a date. Or, or when I got married or had children or dealt with financial challenges or career decisions, what we all face in everyday life. So that's when I started asking bigger questions. 
that was how can we develop talent or a set of life skills, not necessarily for sports, but for everyday life. And that question, that search, which was a long extended time, led me uh, working with four significant mentors in my life that I'll be writing about in the book. Um, and it led to an approach after world travels and studies for decades, actually. Um, it led to an approach to living that I call the peaceful warrior's way. And for those who aren't familiar with my work, I, I would define peaceful warrior as all of us, where every one of us is a peaceful warrior in training in the sense that we are all striving to live with a more peaceful heart amidst the chaos of current events. But there are times we also need a warrior's spirit, the strength to stand up inside of ourselves and march in daily life, roll up our sleeves and tackle whatever it is we need to do. So that takes a warrior's spirit. So that's why I use the term peaceful warrior and it relates to everyone. Whatever age they are, whatever their culture background, we're all peaceful warriors in training. I, I can't um, begin to tell you how much that actually has impacted my life over the years. Like when I first heard of your, your writings, then I was instantly struck by the peaceful warrior how someone can be peaceful plus also a warrior at the same time. I've yeah. always been curious about, okay, what makes a man a man? What makes a, a warrior a warrior? Like the, I, I love history. So the ancient Spartans, you know, those sorts of individuals, mm. they were warriors. Mm. And, um, and I've always asked, were they also at peace at the same time? That's the question. Yeah. And, and that, that's the, there have been many warriors in history. The Spartans are a very good example. They practiced stoicism, toughness, yeah. uh, didn't complain, uh, willing to sacrifice their lives, put themselves in harm's way. That's our traditional idea of the warrior, soldiers, police, and so on. Um, but I have known many of these people, and they're still striving to find a peaceful heart. Yeah. But on the other side of the equation, there are peacemakers, peaceful people, uh, the yogis, the young guys who wear beads and white, all white robes, you know, and they, when they shake my hand, they only hold my fingertips. You know, I, I don't know why I just have this perverse <laughs> feeling. I want to slap them around a little bit, you know, come on, man up, you know, yep, but yep. the point is they, they have a peaceful heart. They're nourishing, kind, vulnerable, but maybe the, not too many of them have a warrior spirit, but there have been people in history uh, in the U.S., Martin Luther King Jr., who, who his work is based on Mahatma Gandhi of India, and other people I would describe as peaceful warriors more traditionally. They were peaceful and believed in nonviolence, but they had great strength in their strength. And I'm sure there are examples in every country. Mm. Um, but I prefer the term that is applies to each of us in everyday life. Uh, it doesn't have to be grand machismo or toughness. Um, it's about spirit. Mm. And we can, we can bring that to our, most of us have, we can all think back on times we've experienced physical, emotional, and mental pain that have brought us to where we are now. And that has hidden gifts, any adversity, uh, you know, it has hidden gifts of strength and, and wisdom and perspective. Mm. So we don't have to seek out adversity, but daily life is a form of spiritual weight training yeah. to strengthen our spirits. Very true. How have you been able to handle fear when it comes down to inner peace? Because I know that fear kind of wrestles with that uh, peaceful spirit. 
and the warrior spirit as well kind of makes you want to be afraid and want to pull back a little bit. So how have you been able to manage fear in your life? I suppose the best way I can express that is with a, a favorite quotation by a boxing coach named Customato. Um, he said, heroes and cowards feel exactly the same fear. They just respond differently. <laughs> so my approach to fear, and remember in gymnastics, gymnastics is a warrior sport. Mm -hmm. And the reason I call it a warrior sport is you can break your neck, you can die doing it. Where when you go out to practice on the tennis court, you're not likely to die or, or break your neck or have, you know that sort of thing. And swimming, same thing. So certain sports and martial arts lend themselves to this facing our mortality and, and really getting out there with a high level of risk. So I call that a warrior sport. So fear was a natural part of my training. And so was failure. I failed 50 times a day, crashing and crashing and crashing until I could do it. So to me, failure was just took it in stride and kept going. It wasn't some big deal. Uh, I got used to it and I got used to fear. And so I, I finally realized that the only difference between fear and excitement is whether you're breathing. So uh, I do recommend take a deep breath. And you know, if someone ever holds you up on the street at gunpoint, you can go, I'm so excited. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so it's not about not feeling fear. That's not within our control. We can't, by our will, just feel whatever we want to feel and not feel what we don't want to feel. Feelings change like the weather all the time. So do thoughts. Sometimes my thoughts are positive. Sometimes they're negative. I've done a lot of meditation, read the books on positive thinking. But basically, the, the mind has all sorts of discursive thoughts that pop up. And um, they vary. So my approach these days in my own evolution is that I focus not so much on inner work. And there's nothing wrong with that, meditation and, and self-observation and so on. But I focus more on behavior. Because our lives, if we look at our lives, they're shaped primarily by what we've done over time, not just what we felt or thought. Yeah. So while the thoughts and feelings are coming and going and changing, positive, negative, the question, the major question before us in any moment is, what do I need to do now in line with my purpose? And then doing it. And some of us need a big, long process to do what we need to do. But it really comes down to just do it because eventually everything comes down to that. Uh, I don't feel like taking out the trash. I'm tired, but it needs to go out. So I take it out. Mm. And the same way you can do that, we can also act at times when we're anxious, when we have to speak in public, uh, when we're in a social situation that feels uncomfortable. We can still do it while feeling uncomfortable. We can feel afraid and do something uh courageous mm -hmm. so that is a real form of liberation practical where our our behaviors are no longer dependent on on trying to motivate ourselves or feel the right feeling and think the right thoughts to do it mm -hmm. and many of us have been conditioned to think that's what it's all about that's where it's at have, have fix our inside have the right thoughts and feelings but i don't know uh, i've done a great deal of work as you'll read about in my memoir and I really concluded that it's really uh, outer work. What are we going to do right now? And we do it.
I can't wait. Not every time. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we're not up to it. That's fine too. Mm -hmm. But over time we can improve. You were going to say, Jay? I was just going to say that I can't wait to actually read your memoir. I loved uh, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. And I loved the movie too, even though I was completely different to the book. (laughs) (laughs) They usually are. As as movies do. Um, You know, it's like entertainment, you know. Yeah. Um, but I can't wait to read it. And I have a, a couple more questions for you, Dan, if you don't mind. Sure. A valuable sure. conversation. But what would you say has been the worst piece of advice you've ever received from somebody? How interesting. Um, I have to think about that. The worst. I haven't ever put that in my cubbyhole of the worst. Um, Not many people. I wouldn't even know. I wouldn't even know. Well, maybe you're going to ask me about the best advice too, but the worst advice, it, it, I probably just filtered it out. I don't, I probably don't even remember it anymore. Uh, hmm. Some people. No, I'll, I'll have to give that some more thought mm-hmm. because I don't really recall horrible advice I've been given because if I was, I recognized it and probably didn't follow it. Yeah, and and uh, let it go. So I can't answer that question. I don't have an answer. Which is um, why, oftentimes, the worst piece of advice for some people can turn into the best piece of advice. And yeah, you may not even know it at the time, but you may have thought that it was bad at the time, and then turned it into something that was good and positive, sure. and sure. Then just forgotten that it was bad advice in the first place. <laughs> so that may be. Yeah. But I'm always, I'm always curious about this one because, you know, I've, I've received, I've had a lot of mentors over the years that sort of gave me all this advice and sort of told me to go which way, you know, but it was mm. always where they wanted me to go, not where I wanted to go. Yes. It was yes. what they, they thought was best for me. Um, mm-hmm. And one of, one of the, I was having a conversation uh, with someone this morning actually, and I asked him the same question and he's like, the worst piece of advice that I could, I could um, remember, and he got stuck too, so don't worry. Uh, he's like, it's easier said than done. And I thought about that. It's easier said than done, which is basically goes back to what we've, what we've been talking about is mm-hmm. practice and, yeah. and saying, I have a thought, but rather putting it into practice, it just remains a thought. And then that fear behind actually doing something stops a lot of people. And yeah. One thing I've learned over, over the years, over the decades, is that it can take time to bring what we've learned, even what we accept and know, and, and know is right, into life. And we should be gentle with ourselves and compassionate because literally it can take months, weeks, months, years, and occasionally even a decade or more until we realize, wow, I'm not really practicing that and bring it into our life. Mm. So, but the seeds are there. Mm. The seeds are there and that's important. Uh, and the rest, you know, young men especially are still on the build. I mean, I'm going to be turned 75 in February, you know, and, and, but young men and young women still on the build, they sometimes say, but you know, I'm doing pretty well, but I, I don't know if I've reached my full potential. Mm. And I, that's crazy making. I go, well, what if you already did yesterday? Mm. What if you hit your top? Now the rest is free play. It's, uh, you can coast. You can just kind of enjoy life. Mm. This whole thing about doing 
reaching my potential mm-hmm. and, and all that, you know, again, it takes time to, uh-huh. uh, life is a constant evolution and it's to be enjoyed, not just struggled through all the time. Mm-hmm. A balance, you know, we strive, which is a good thing. Having a purpose is very important. And I think I'll close because I, unless you have another burning question, I've, I've got to, to run, but um, I wanted to uh, say something I, I leave people with is it's very important not to compare ourselves to other people. It's important to trust our process. As a gymnastics coach, uh, I noticed that, and teacher, I noticed some people learn a somersault faster than others. But those who take longer to learn it often learn it better than those who learned it more quickly. So we have to trust our own way of learning and our own way of being and not compare ourselves to others, which is a disrespect for our own process. Um, We're not here to be someone else. We're here to be the best self we can be. And again, day to day, we are. And that's, that's kind of the paradox. My, my final question for you, I asked this question to everyone at the end, Dan. You've been sure. very gracious with your time, and I appreciate that. You've been able to reach the age of 100. You're 75 uh, now, but you've been able to reach the age of 100, and your friends have put together a movie for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. You've already had one movie out, so that doesn't really count because it's Hollywood made. But um, <laughs> Your friends have decided to show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say in the show about your life? The way I would answer that, you really create some good questions, I think. And the way I would answer it uh, is the same as when people say, Dan, have you mastered all the principles you write about in your books? And the answer in all candor is no, I have not mastered them, but I'm practicing sincerely. And if you observed my life, you would not find me a perfect example of what I teach, but you, I think you would find me a good example. And that's all I can ask of anyone. And that's probably what I'd like the film to show, that I continued practicing and was a good example. Mm, I love that legacy. Dan, thank you so much for your time. It has been an absolute joy and delight speaking to you. I wish we had more time so we could dive even further. But thank you for the time that you've given me today and for coming on the Storybox podcast and sharing your work. I'll make sure that people know exactly where to find you and uh, connect with you. So thank you so much. Jay, it's been my pleasure. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, 
And don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 